Take your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus and chapter 11. And for those that have pre-read the passage, you may be wondering what in the world Leviticus chapter 11 has to do with Easter Sunday. I pray that all will be revealed in good time. Leviticus chapter 11. This morning I'm just going to read the final four verses of this chapter before we dive in. Before I do, we live in very divided times. As we come together this morning, we recognize that in our culture and in our society, there is great division. Division at a depth and with a ferocity that few of us perhaps have experienced in our lifetimes. It seems almost impossible to have a civil conversation with someone with whom you disagree. And so as we come this morning, we need to recognize that reality. It seems that there is a lot of confusion in our culture. Our culture and our society on the one hand celebrates a lot of differences. But the one difference that our culture does not celebrate is if you have a difference of opinion on the celebration of those differences. And so there seems to be a lot of confusion a lot of vitriol, a lot of vehemence. And this reality is no different than what has existed throughout humanity. In particular, difference comes when there are those who wish to honor God, who wish to recognize him, who wish to live life the way that he has said it should be lived, who wish to live according to his character, which is holy and righteous, which is gentle and good, which is just and truth, which is compassion and love, these and so many other things, The God who spoke all things into existence has also revealed to us how life ought to be lived. And there are those who hopefully, through humility, recognizing their need of God, have submitted to him. And there are those that do not and desire to be their own God, to make up their own rules to make up their own ideologies and philosophies and live by those instead. And so as we come to Leviticus chapter 11, on the heels of Leviticus chapter 10, there is a reality here that God wants his chosen people to reflect him. And it starts at the top with the leadership. Moses and Aaron, Aaron and his sons, the priests. And as we noted last Sunday when we were together, two of the sons of Aaron, 
Do not take seriously the holiness of God. Do not take seriously the responsibility that God has given them. And so God rightly judges them for it. Now, in chapters 11 through 15, we're going to see a number of rules and regulations, yes, but all designed to reveal the character of God and to have his people walk in those ways. By virtue of that, they are going to be different because the nations that they are walking through and will go into the land that are currently occupied by do not recognize God, do not love God, do not submit to him, do not love him, do not worship him. And so they are going to be different. But the goal of that is to reveal who God is. And so if you would follow along with me as I read Leviticus chapter 11, and verses 44 through the end of the chapter. Leviticus chapter 11, starting to read at verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the land, on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. This is the word of God. The first place this morning then we see a life that is to be lived distinctly. The holiness of God filters down to every aspect of life including our diets. And here with the nation of Israel they're given a lengthy chapter, that well, wasn't a chapter at this point, on what they can and cannot eat. And so we see in the first place then this idea of a life lived distinctly. It comes in different sections and segments throughout the chapter. But notice in verses 1 through 23, we have a distinct diet. Now, commentators have postulated why this diet and why not another. And the short answer is we don't know. They have looked for many different reasons why God says this animal can be eaten and this animal can't. We are not sure why God did that. There are a few clues in the text. If you want to know the 15 to 50 uh, postulations or uh, theories about why God made this list of uh, diet for the nation of Israel, feel free to stick around after the service. We're going to have a time of fellowship. Then we'll come back in here for those that are desirous of doing that for a Q&A, and that will be part of that time. But the reality is that there are some restrictions to Israel's diet in verses 1 through 8, there is a distinction among land animals, this distinct diet in verses 1 through 23. And it comes in four sections. A distinction among land animals. There are land animals that are okay to eat, that are rendered by God clean, 
And then there are land animals that are not okay to eat, rendered by God as unclean. And it is those animals that fully part the hoof and also chew their cud. And a number of examples are given there for the nation of Israel. There's a distinction among sea animals in verses 9 through 12. Israel does not yet live next to the ocean, and so this is a future reality for their diet. Not a lot of seafood in the wilderness wanderings, but as they make their way to the land of Canaan, their entire western border is the Mediterranean Sea, and so they will have need of this. And so God makes distinction, these sea animals are clean, these sea animals are unclean. And then in verses 13 through 19, there is a distinction among animals that fly. Particularly in these verses, only those flying animals that they are not allowed to eat, that are considered unclean for the nation of Israel. And so any animal that flies, that is unclean, is essentially listed there. There are animals in here that we are unsure of what those animals are because of the original Hebrew. But the reality is there are flying animals that are un rendered unclean by God. And then in verses 20 through 23, there is a distinction made among insects. Again, I'm not sure how many here this morning are clamoring to chew on an insect, but uh, for the nation of Israel, insects may have been part of their diet. They are the part of diet of a number of people around our globe. And there is distinction again made among the insects these are clean and these are unclean. And then in the second place, we have a pure diet free from detestable swarming animals. There is a list given, verses 29 through 31a, and then in verses 41 through 44, they're again mentioned. Any animals that swarm, any animals that crawl along the ground, they are unclean and detestable to the nation of Israel. And so in the first place then, we see this morning that the Israelites were to live a life that was distinct from anyone else. And it was a representation of their commitment to God and a reflection of his character lived out in them. Notice then in the second place, verses 24 through 28 and 31, the second half all the way to verse 40, to live a life that celebrates life. As we have noted in the book of Leviticus, one of the main themes is how do we live in the presence of a holy God? And one of the sub-themes is that our God is a life-giving, life-encouraging, life-supporting God. A God that celebrates life. He creates it, he loves it, and he wants us to also promote it. And so, in the Israeli interactions with food, what happens when an animal dies? How do we interact with that? And so, in the first place, we note that death causes ritual uncleanness. To be clean or unclean is not a matter of morality in this list and in this section of Leviticus. It has to do with ritual purity. An individual that was unclean could not approach God in sacrificial worship. And so anyone that touched death was rendered unclean, and there is a process given in this passage for how to ritualistically wash both themselves and any clothes that may have also touched the dead carcass to then, by evening, 
be rendered clean once again. God puts a high premium on life such that death causes ritual uncleanness. Death causes a separation, at least momentarily, between a worshiper, a potential worshiper, and God. Because our God is a God of life. He is a life giver. And he celebrates life and wants us to do the same. In the second place, and I uh, want to let you know that this is somewhat speculation, but it could be, and Mary Douglas has done some good work in this area, that the reason why the unclean animals were declared unclean and certain animals were even declared detestable is to actually preserve their life. Because to touch them was to be rendered unclean. And to touch their dead carcass was also to be rendered unclean. And so perhaps to keep these animals from simply being slaughtered by a nation that was overzealous in, uh, in fulfilling God's law, he renders these animals detestable and unclean to preserve them. It is unlikely that God who called all of his creation good would look at some animals as being good while others not good. We do not believe that is the reason why God gives these restrictions. This has to do with the diet of the Israelis, of the Israelites. But it is speculated that perhaps because God celebrates life, that in the making of this list, God understands that maybe the Israelites would say, well, if these are unclean animals, let's just kill them all, and then we won't have to worry about it. But the reality is, were they to do that, they would become unclean. And so it keeps them actually from touching these so-called unclean animals. That is somewhat speculation, but it does fit nicely in with the reality of our God celebrating life. Our God is not a God of death. Death, as we note, especially this weekend, comes as a result of sin. God is holy. And so in God, there is life. In rejection of God, there is always death. Notice then, if we come down to the final verses of our passage, verses 44 through 47, that all of life is to be holy. Notice the last two verses of our passage. The Israelites are to live a life that is distinct. This is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. All the way down to the level of what a Jew ate, God is concerned that their life is distinct different, reflective of him, submitted to him. The best life that can be lived is the life fully submitted to the one who created life, the author of life, who is God. And so their life is to be distinct, different, separate. Notice it is also to be a holy life in verses 44 through 45. For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy. Verse 45, 
For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Holy. We've talked about God's holiness already, and we will continue to talk about it as we look through this book. That of being separate. That of being sacred. That of reflecting who God is that of being like God in all of his glory and majesty, that of being righteous and just, truthful, loving, compassionate, gentle, good, kind, and so much more. This is who God is. He is wholly other. He is not like us. He does not think like us. He does not emote like us. He is, that is one of his names, I am, and he is wholly separate, and he is glorious and majestic and beautiful and holy, and God says, as my people, you are to be like me. And now I want to pause, because up to this point, you may be wrestling with two things. The first is, what in the world does any of this have to do with Easter Sunday? How is refraining from touching a monitor lizard have anything to do with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? I will get to that in just a moment. Perhaps, though, you're also struggling this morning. Perhaps because of your background in church, or perhaps because you're here, even though you have rejected church, And what you are feeling now is what you felt then, and one of the reasons why you rejected it is because it appeared that Scripture was calling you to do something that wasn't possible, and in fact, was not being done by those that still attended. There is a call on us to be holy, and deep down, all of us understand that we cannot do that. We've tried. We've tried to meet God's standard. We've tried to live lives free of jealousy and greed and hatred and lust. We've tried, privately and publicly, and we have come to the conclusion that we cannot do it, and in that we are correct. And so we have two options when there is a high standard. We can either try very, very hard to pull ourselves up to it, or we can attempt to pull it down to our level. And as we look at those around us, especially those that have continued to go to church, and we note their hypocrisy while at the same time denying ours, we say, aha, I was right. These individuals that go to church and put on their nice clothes and feel that they're holier than thou, they're just like me, it's all a sham, and so I can't wait till this guy stops talking so I can go home and get my Easter Sunday dinner. What did we miss? We missed what we often miss when we come to Scripture, and that is we rush to the imperatives, not taking into consideration the indicatives. What do I mean by that? We saw this last year when we went through the book of Romans. There are truths in God's Word that without which the commands of God's Word seem oppressive, unfair, and impossible. Go back with me, if you would, to verses 45 
and 44, sorry, and 45. We need to recognize that the life that God calls us to live is only possible because of his glory and his grace. Verse 44, for I am the Lord your God, for I am holy. Verse 45, for I am holy. Whose holiness is in view here? It is not primarily ours. It can't be ours. We don't have any. It is God's holiness that is in view. God made all things and declared that creation very good. And we messed it up. We don't want to listen to God. We don't want to follow his rules. We do not believe that he has our best interest in mind. We believe that we know better and can do better and live better. And so we are rebels and sinners. But God has not and cannot change. He is still holy. And even though his name is dragged through the mud, and even though his character is not reflected well in our culture, and not even well in our churches, or as well as it should be, the fact remains that he is the one who is holy. He remains the standard. He is the one that spoke all things into existence, and he is the one who knows how all things should be lived. But notice, that is God's glory. Notice also God's grace. How does verse 45 begin? For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. What precedes the call for Israel to be obedient? Salvation. When God went down to get his people out of Egypt, they were not a great people. They were not mighty. They were not worthy of his love. They were not worthy of his attention. God tells them that in Deuteronomy 7, 7. But the reality is that God loves before they were obedient, before their call to holiness. What precedes all of that? God saved them from Egypt with a mighty hand. Salvation comes first, always. And now, out of slavery in Egypt, out from that bondage, and despite their repeated murmuring and grumbling and complaining and consistent showing that they do not deserve the grace of God, God continues to give them grace and says, I love you as you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. Now I am going to make of you the people that you ought to be, an a group, a nation that reflects me. But never forget Grace Baptist Church, the indicatives of God's word, God's holiness, God's salvation, God's love always come before the imperatives. The only reason that God gives us commands is because he knows that through him we can obey them. The indicatives always come before the imperatives. 
And so based on that, we move into our final point this morning, which is that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection gives life. The only hope that we have is not that we could reinstitute Leviticus chapter 11 and start to change our diet to match that. We know that Jesus says in the Gospels, most notably Mark 7, that it is not that which goes into a person that defiles them, but what's already in there that comes out. And Mark adds the note, therefore, thereby Jesus declared all foods clean. The point is not to try to reinstitute Leviticus chapter 11. The point is to see the point in it. And the point is this. God calls us to a holy and distinct life that reflects his character. That is a calling that is impossible without his glory and his grace. But through his glory and his grace, we can only as we humbly submit to him and show who he is because of Jesus Christ. And so notice in the first place, we cannot live perfectly holy lives. We can't do it. We cannot meet God's standard. We cannot live as he has called us to live. There are some Christians that believe that they can and go around pretending that they are the perfect example of what a Christian is to be. Can I let everyone in on a perhaps not so well kept secret this morning? Every single person here this morning, including me, is a sinner. We all have a past. We all have sins we will yet commit in the future. We are all broken. We are all rebel sinners. But if we humbly repent and have faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, we can also be saints. Not because of us, but because of him. Death then is the just judgment for sin. Death entered the world because of sin. Death is not from God. Death is as a result of us and our sin and our rebellion against God. And one of the precursors to death is destruction and division and all the things that we see in our culture. And so in the third place, Jesus lived a perfectly holy life, the life that we should live and won't and can't and don't want to. Died a sacrificial death. Died a death whereby he took the penalty for sin on himself on our behalf. And please note the love of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ ate with and washed the feet of Judas Iscariot. Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And Jesus turned to someone who was rightly being crucified by the Roman government, who had just moments before cursed him and said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus' love is amazing. His grace is amazing. His sacrificial death took care of all of our sins, past, present, and future, because all of our sins were future to the event of the cross. Jesus does not love a future version of you. Jesus loves you and died for you. And our response, our only appropriate response, is repentance 
and faith. And Jesus rose back to life from the dead, conquering sin and death. The resurrection is proof that sin has been paid for. Sin has been conquered. Death has been conquered. There's a reason why Christians get excited about Easter, and it has very little to do with chocolate. Our sins, all of them, on Jesus. And he cries from the cross a single word in Greek, but three amazing words in English. It is finished. That is our hope. That is why we celebrate. And so lastly this morning, only Jesus can make the unclean clean. If you want to see the greatest collection of individuals who admit that they are sinners, please come to Grace Baptist Church. Please join us. You're in good company. But understand that we are not sinners stuck in our sin, commiserating in our sin and celebrating our sin. No, 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 the church is a hospital. People are getting better because the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms us from the inside out. As we repent and put our trust in him and him alone, he will change us. He loves us as we are, but loves us too much to leave us there. He is making us more like him each and every day. And so you should also see here at Grace Baptist Church individuals that love more and are more compassionate and more gentle and more kind and more gracious and more holy and more righteous and more just, more truthful more loving because that is what God does through Jesus Christ how in the world did any of that come out of Leviticus chapter 11 it's there because God calls his people to a life of distinction and holiness but it is all predicated upon his glory and his grace and it's the same for us this morning let's look to him in prayer father we thank you we thank you as we gather here this morning that is not in celebration of anything that we have done because we are well aware as we gather here this morning that we are unworthy of your grace and your love. And yet, Father, we are grateful that Jesus Christ, the righteous, became one of us and is still one of us. And Father, what sent him here is your love for us. You loved us. You, your Son, your Holy Spirit, loved us before you ever spoke anything into existence, before the foundations of the world were laid. You loved your children. And Father, on that weekend, Almost 2,000 years ago, a truly innocent man was crucified willingly and bore in his own body on that cross the penalty for sin. The sins that we might admit to and the sins that we are aware of that nobody else knows about. All of sin in its dark disgustingness, in all of its horror, was laid on Jesus Christ 
and he bore the full weight of it all. And then, Father, he descended into the grave, tasting the result of sin and death, and then burst forth out of the tomb, coming back to life from the dead that Sunday morning. And that is why, Father, we celebrate every Sunday, but we certainly celebrate this Sunday, that he is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, I do earnestly pray for those that may be here this morning or watching online that have gotten a wrong view of what Christianity is, that have been turned off by those who name the name of Christ but do not live out his character. Father, may they come back to him. May they see him in all of his glory and majesty and beauty. We do not follow anyone else but him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Father, for those that are here that name your name, may they understand that it is not their holiness that has caused them to be in relationship with you. It is all your grace. All your grace. It is not of any of our works because then we would have something to boast about. We have nothing to boast about. Not any of us, not one of us is better than anyone else. We are all sinners in desperate need of Jesus. But Father, I do pray and praise you as well that because of Christ, we can be called whole. We can be called redeemed, reconciled, chosen, adopted, justified, sanctified, glorified, Father, all this, so much more is true of us because of Jesus Christ. We thank you in his name. Amen.